Boom. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Let's just do a barbershop <laughs> quartet. Let's just do that. Yeah, that was great. That was <laughs> and good. welcome to the next episode of Junto Talks. Uh, or are you telling me that was on air? That was on air. Holy crap. Oh, great. <laughs> That's what we want to see. New theme song. Uh, today <laughs> we are sponsored by uh, Core Power Protein uh, oh, Shake. No. Are we gonna uh, get sued? It's in the bottle for now. It might be on the floor in 20 minutes. We'll see how fun this episode gets. Oh yeah. So why don't we start it off with um, this Dominion Fox News whole sh- like showdown? Who wants to start it off there? Akash, what do we got? Take us away. I can lay down uh, the details. How many so. votes were stolen? <laughs> well, so that's why we're in a lawsuit, aren't we? So, uh, if you've been following, the, if you followed the 2020 election, uh, you're probably well aware that there were many claims by various anchors on Fox News that uh, various aspects of the 2020 U.S. election was uh, presidential election was fraudulent, and um, indeed, yeah, it was uh, according to their claims, which were proven to be baseless. They were due to many different reasons, but Dominion is the company that manufactures the uh, election voting machines that most of us use to uh, put in our presidential votes. And uh, that was damaging to their image because if, if a popular media station is saying that the election is fraudulent and that the uh, election is rigged, it doesn't look good for the company manufacturing these systems. And so they uh, sued and took Fox News to court and... Uh, suing them for uh, defamation and, and libel, mm. which is really, really interesting because uh, libel is one of the hardest things to prove uh, in American court. You have to not only prove that uh, the other person's or other party's words uh, damaged you, but you had have to prove that there was what's called actual malice. Mm. Uh, there was actual malicious intent in what they were saying, and they had a very intentional reason uh, to defame you, and they they knowingly knew they were lying, and they still went through with it. Very difficult to prove, and so this case was really, really, uh, really vital in terms of uh, First Amendment rights as well. In, in terms of like what a media station can say uh, and get away with saying, uh, because usually you know we're, we're big advocates here in the United States of of, of, the, of uh, freedom of speech and freedom of expression, but. Um, Clearly, there's a line that has to be drawn at some point, and so that's another reason why defamation is really hard to show. You have to show that, yeah, you're way past free speech. You were actively, intentionally. Right, because this is an important political viewpoint. I mean, if there were votes stolen, which there weren't, then it would be a really important thing for the news media to be able to talk about it. And anybody who's censoring that and, you know, having government officials rule that you have to pay millions of dollars in fees because you had this opinion that was incorrect, we don't want that to be how the legal system worked. So how is it that they were able to show that there was malice here, that they what they knew that it was false, yeah. and they were deliberately repeating these false claims that they knew to be false solely for the purpose of harming Dominion? Sure. So your question is, how do they show that, right? Mm-hmm. We, we'll never know. And that's, that's, oh. that's the sad part of this. So the, the result of this was a settlement. Uh, Fox News oh. paid out 785, I think, 700-something million dollars. Wow. Uh, to Dominion, uh, <laughs> that is to put that in context. For that is ten times what Dominion's entire company is worth. No way. <laughs> their I think their annual revenue is is somewhere around. I think it was a hundred million, and they just made seven eighty five million in a day. 
What are they going to do with that? I have zero idea, but there's it, actually a picture of them coming out of the courtroom and they have the biggest smiles on their face that you've ever seen. <laughs> like they, uh, It's also like half of Fox's annual revenue or more. Um, like it's not a it's, small. It's I think it's actually far less. So yeah, oh, okay, so okay. so Fox News, uh, they're actually going on. They've actually been sued for a lot more in the past, and so okay. this is not a significant. Of course, it's it's a it's a decent amount of uh, payout, but um, it's actually not anything that's going to hit them in the kneecaps or anything like that. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And so I was reading a report on this. Um, the winners of this lawsuit, Dominion. I mean, they've they've got a giant paycheck on them. Uh, the other winners of this lawsuit are actually Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram. Um, they're going to keep themselves out of court. They don't have to explain their actions. They don't have to explain uh, why they had text messages where they were literally communicating with each other, saying that uh, they knew that what they were saying on air was fraudulent and that they were lying to their viewers, and they continued to do so. They don't have to explain any of that in a courtroom. The case is sealed and shut. How did we get so, those text messages? I was wondering that, too. Because I was, I was surprised when I read through, what was it, like the New York Times mm -hmm. article on this, and even that the, that the New York Times had all these text messages. Yeah, I, I don't actually know how we, how we got them, but they may have been leaked. But maybe, I, maybe it was public as part of the court process, or maybe it was leaked. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe. But um, What I'm wondering is, so I wonder why, why Dominion didn't hold out for longer. Like, obviously, it's a huge sum of money, but... Were they scared that they would not earn any money if they had let it go all the way through and they didn't just take the cash up front? Yeah. Maybe they would have lost the case. Yeah. They would have gotten no money. Yeah. Sure, it would have been like you know uh, bad for... Arguably, Fox right? is willing to pay more than the case is worth to mm -hmm. avoid the trial and the spectacle of the trial. Maybe it was only a $100 million case, but they're like, we will give you 10 times more because we just don't want to go to trial. Yeah, and there's actually I'm taking an econ law class uh, currently. There's literally models that you can you can create um, which show you whether or not it's a good decision to settle or take the trial. And nine times out of ten, you're going to end up settling because the probability that you're going to win the full payout in trial and and trial doesn't happen overnight. It would become a years long process, uh, really messy. You're going to pour more capital into hiring more lawyers, getting more research done. Um, and people are just risk averse. Like yeah. you don't want to flip the billion dollar coin. You would rather settle for five hundred million yeah. and just yeah. like yeah. come away with a safe outcome. Yeah, yeah, that all makes sense. Big loser in this case, uh, democracy. Right. We 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 will never know. And the people who lied on air are never going to be held accountable yeah. uh, for what they yeah. did. They just silenced it with money. You know. So. I'm wondering why, why Dominion was even able to, you know sue fox for that much money in the first place was it like i think 1.6 billion do you think it was because two points two points something right their, so their, their lawyers not, were like their lawyers are like we know that you guys can get a ton of money from this if Let's they're, if they're the not worth high. that much money they can't have that much in damages like they didn't lose two billion in potential revenue right. because they don't have that right and so is this like necessarily like punitive like it's we're just sticking it to do you with this amount of money that's what i was wondering. Like, i'm surprised fox wasn't able to offer them like a hundred million and that to be okay i i guess i, I guess you, know, you could argue that it was um what's the term it was sort of like the fact that dominion pegged the number first at like whatever two point something billion mm -hmm. sort of just like set the conversation oh, yeah in that in that range but I don't know, like I, because I, yeah, they don't, they're not making anywhere near that much money, so their their damages weren't mm -hmm. worth that much. 
Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm actually. I'm not sure how they pick like the the no, the two billion number, but uh, I well, it's something model again, right? It's actually it's your probability of winning the case times the payout. Uh, yeah. So another crazy thing is just that Fox News was willing to do this. That uh, it's, and so many politicians and media people kind of have this outlook where like the viewer is just some idiot and you do a mm-hmm. focus group and you figure out what the idiot thinks and then you go on air and you tell it to them and you go home and you believe something different. And it's just so sad that that's the way the media has gone. I, I read this argument recently that, you know, the old days of the media, um, the reason they were so up the middle is because you only had your regional news and every single person had to subscribe to that same news provider. And so you didn't have different people getting their different views catered to. And so you just had to be very up the middle. You had to appeal to everyone. It makes sense. But now everyone gets their own diet of media. And so everything is far more extreme. Mm. It's pretty sad. Do you guys read yeah. through the texts that were leaked from the trial? I just remember that I was either Tucker Carlson or Laura Ingram had told the other, um, I don't know why we're doing this. Our listeners are good people. Uh, oh, that's not. You know, but so they were very obviously knew that they were they were lying, but uh, yeah. that I I didn't actually read the text. I just saw that as an excerpt. Yeah. Um, I read this crazy book about a guy who fiction, mm-hmm. very similar scenario. Um, he was like he was a liberal and he was like teaching humanities at a city college, but none of the kids want to read the classics. Yeah. And his wife divorced him because he's just like. Uh, bookish and always thinking about politics and he starts getting radicalized eventually he infiltrates Fox News basically the fictional Fox News by dating somebody who works in the office he goes brings a gun into the studio and live on air he holds Tucker Carlson not Tucker Carlson hostage and says pull up your text messages with the president and live on air he makes him read what what kind of idiots do you think actually vote for this stuff I can't believe this is actually working. And that's how the book ends. You know, he, he obviously gets arrested and he's insane and he's a terrorist and it's kind of a, a portrayal of somebody falling into political extremism. But it's also wild that this fictional story that happened before this news story came out was about the same kind of premise where a politician and a news anchor are just laughing behind uh, the backs of the viewers who are eating up their lies. Wait, someone wrote a fictional story. Fictional story yeah. about that. The great, wow. the great man theory. Jeez, what? Just came out a couple of years ago. Huh. that's pretty. It's uncanny. Pretty I good. found the. So I, f- I found some of the one of the more interesting excerpt excerpts of uh, like you know the text that was exchanged back and forth. This is between Alex, uh, Pieffer and mm-hmm. Tucker Carlson, and. Alex goes, this was, I think, after um, Carlson had, like, gone on air and hadn't talked about voter fraud. Mm-hmm. And Alex goes, you told me to tell you if we are getting attacked on Twitter, so I will. Many viewers were upset tonight that we didn't cover election fraud. Tucker goes, yeah, probably should have. Alex goes, yeah, I didn't get why we didn't. Assumed it was some sort of decision not to. But it's all our viewers care about now. And then Carlson goes, mistake. I just hate that shit. And then Alex goes, yeah, it's honestly, it's honestly awful. Uh, he sends, he goes, oh, did you see this? He sends a, a tweet about someone who was like, oh, um, talking about the election fraud and talks some more about it. But it's really interesting to hear these people talk about um, like how um, 
Trump kind of plays into what they have to do too. Like later on, some text between some Fox News um, uh, reps, employees, it said one of them was like, oh yeah, Trump and his team have, have put us in an awful spot. And then his friend goes, totally agree. They turned it into an instant circus. This is just not good. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these things, maybe like let's say Fox News doesn't really want to cover it in some kind of way. Let's say they never really wanted to peddle election fraud. Yeah. But when Trump starts peddling election fraud and so many Republicans are a fan of Trump and they want to, they want to like, you know, buy up what he's saying, then Fox News kind of has to go along with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Core problem. How do you how do you come to true beliefs? And how do you build a society where people are able to figure out what the truth is? That's kind of the challenge here, right? We're talking about Fox News has to cover this because their viewers believe it. And their viewers believe it uh, because Trump says it's true. But uh -huh. like, where is the root of like what I think to be a false belief coming up? And like, wouldn't it be nice if people could just verify these things for themselves? But they often can't because there are so many layers of people that you have to trust and in the good old days, we just trusted the people and the people didn't lie to us. But then sometimes the people did lie to us and we just didn't know. Um, I don't know. What's a better model for media? Truth GPT. <laughs> no. 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 I, no. That, 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 was a, that, that was a joke, by the way. I actually know nothing about it. Uh, Woke GPT. I did, I did see. Uh, All the way. I just saw a, a post about it on like LinkedIn or something. No, that's but Elon's proposal. Elon's proposal. He actually went on Tucker Carlson and talked about it. So what what is Truth GPT? I I've read like, absolutely oh, well, nothing just, about it. You know the, the companies they are they're professing to do safety, but they're just making this thing woke, and it's like okay maybe to an extent. But then he's like, we're just gonna make Truth GPT, which is like equally not a solution. Like he's just making anti woke GPT, and like. I but we know. all take it for truth. Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, okay. I guess the the real upshot is that he's forming another AI lab that's going to compete with the other ones and force the other ones to speed up and like cut down on safety and all that stuff, and it's going to be coded right wing. Uh, interesting. One one AI coded right wing, one AI coded left wing. Exactly. Oh, so the idea is like what? Like we have we have. Uh, like viewpoints for both sides that appeal to both like segments. I, I guess so. Yeah, China is also making this their policy. Yeah, the China, like, G, China GPT. Your GPT has to support the Communist oh, Chinese Communist Party. Interesting. Yeah. So we're just yeah. gonna have different AI services for different oh no ideologies. Yep. Oh yep. wow. Yep. Uh oh, what could go wrong? The, the Pope <laughs> is gonna get in on it. It's gonna be incredible. I mean, that'll be interesting actually. So let's let's imagine that world maybe like months a year or so out mm -hmm. where there's like several sort of like top top player um you know ai models that you could use i i wonder though if that'll be like you like user facing like if you'll if if you'll know or if you'll like want to know which ai model that you're using or if the companies the products will try to hide that away so that you don't know they do hide it away already so subconsciously ChatGPT will just agree with anything that you say and so if you're like my name is ted i'm from utah i have three guns what do you think of immigration policy it will adopt the views on immigration that someone named ted with three guns might have whereas if you say i'm like a young liberal living in park slope like what do you think about climate change it will give you much more liberal opinions 
Um, and so it already flatters users and tells them they're correct. And like this could just be an increasing problem. Yeah, it definitely is a people pleaser. I had it, uh, I actually put my resume through it and I said, uh, based on my credentials, uh, what do you think my odds are at getting a job at McKinsey Bain or Boston Consulting Group? And it shot me a response that said, based on your credentials, you have a great shot at getting a job at any of these firms. I so, could have told you that, Akash. Yeah, yeah. Just wait. So, Well, it is a business, right? If it tells me that I that I suck, I'm not going to go back to it. Right, you <laughs> like, might give it a thumbs down. Yeah, yeah. You know, in the end, that their, their job is to please. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah, I just, I just wonder if, like, like, cause as of now, right? It's like uh, I mean, we get a lot of a lot of sort of like our truth from Google, mm-hmm. and if it seems like Google's done a pretty good job of that so far. Mm-hmm. Of yeah, not- it's cool, and you get to get direct sources, like original people. But then, like direct sources are still just people writing about things. True. Then there's also your news sources, whether it's like Fox News, for example, or you've got um, the New York Times. So I wonder if, like. Could we see like a Fox GPT down the road? Yeah, it's interesting. You're re-centralizing information. Google directs you to all of the many individuals in the world who are telling you facts about the world, and you can choose which of the many to trust. GPT is trained on all of them, mm. and it gives you one consensus answer that is just like you know the rolling average of every single source out there, and that's kind of sad. Like that limits people's ability to think for themselves about which sources they trust. Well, so it's the rolling average. It's, But it is also tailored right to what you want to hear, right? Yeah. So yeah. in a way, it's it's almost, in a way, it's not entirely different, right? Because if you have, let's say, you're super left-leaning, right? You're probably not going to click on Fox News as much as you will CNN, and mm-hmm. vice versa, right? You're right-leaning. You're probably not going to CNN as much as you are Fox. So I feel like currently we intentionally do search for information that we want to see on Google, right? Yeah. It's just that what ChatGPT does is is it gives it straight to us, right? It doesn't even right. give us an option. It, it's centralized information versus fragmented information. Fragmented allows you to create bubbles, mm-hmm. but allows you to break out of bubbles. Centralized information could be more up the middle, but it might not be. And if it's not, you don't really have recourse. I wonder, I wonder if this will be most useful to... A China then where that's in there it it, it, it isn't in their best interest to create right, sort of right. one sort of truth the other thing is can can they technically speaking get it to like never talk about Tiananmen Square like right now we can't mm. get it to not make up citations and to not like make up fake events and so so far I doubt they can really get it to like always support the CCP why is that because they're they're trained on like everything on the internet, so you need to like have a version of the internet that like never uh, references all of the things that they don't want. But it's just so inter- interconnected that right. it's almost inevitable it's, at some point. Yeah, it's hard to cleanse like the entire internet. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. I see. Could you not? This is, De- is it, defund the internet. How about that? De- defund the fact. D D just disconnect the internet. Oh man, that's not gonna happen. Okay, I have an interesting topic we talk about. So, well, Adam, you had, a, you had a birthday recently, isn't that right? I did. Did you turn 22 or 21? 23. 23? Oh, 23. what? Oh, there we go. I'm too old. I need to get out of here. <laughs> you I need to get, get out of here. No, I did One more year. One more year. <laughs> no. uh, anyway, I want to talk about the drinking age. Huh. Uh, what do you guys think about the U.S. having a drinking age of, of 21? I think it's interesting to talk about, given that most other countries in the world have it at 18. 
Hmm? Yeah. If not younger. I I have been of the, the general opinion that I, it should be younger. It old enough be... to die, old enough to drink. <laughs> is it? Is yeah. it? Oh, die for the army, that's, right? That's 18? true. <laughs> oh, Sorry, oh fair, okay, that's where that comes from. That yeah. was that was an argument. I, I don't know. It's not being put out much now because we no one's really getting drafted as at of 18, now. right? Yeah. And there's also too many other big problems in society to really care about this. Seems like, but yeah, I've generally been of the opinion that it should be age 18. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember I, I did a deep dive on this a while ago and I, I read about how like it was it was 18, I believe. Yeah. Before yep. it was. But it was moved up to 21 because states were having issues with drunk driving uh-huh. and they ah. thought that this would be a way to uh, disincentivize drunk driving. Yeah. It, there's a big sober curious movement among the youth. A lot of people will go out and not really drink that much. I'd say I certainly perceive that my parents' generation drank a lot more than like my friends do. Yeah. And it seems like this is a general trend, but it's also like US versus Europe. Europe has much higher levels of youth drinking and like the US used to have much higher levels of drinking and like now like if you just delay it and make it less normal and less expected, then maybe people drink less and maybe that's a good thing. Mm, like maybe maybe we drink less on the whole maybe it's maybe this isn't maybe i imagine we have these statistics right like young kids do drink less on the whole than they would have and then they Amer- than like europeans do yeah, or yeah. than americans no, did do. beforehand however you could argue that we drink in a more dangerous way because we hide it from parents and authorities because it's going to be illegal especially right, right. It's if not, kids and that's are not really, sneaking drinks it's also it's not really the high school thing isn't 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 an issue because mm-hmm. whether the age is 18 or well, 21, right. you're still not drinking alcohol in high school. It's, it's college. That is an interesting scenario, right? Where you have all these kids who come to, in our case, USC, who just about every single freshman I know who I've interacted with has, has, has had a drink of alcohol. Um, yeah. And many of year. them have had terrible experiences where it's their first time drinking and they, you know, down some liquor and then they end up throwing up all night. And, and colleges like, like USC even has a, um, amnesty policy. I'm an RA, mm-hmm. so I've I know this, and they they, tell, they make sure that I tell the freshmen, mm-hmm. so that if you are drinking and you get drunk and you're in a dangerous situation, and you, you or your friend for that matter, yeah. if you call up DPS and get help, mm-hmm. you are not going to get in trouble, mm-hmm. even if they come and you're totally drunk, you're totally wasted. And it's mm-hmm. clearly against the school policy. So they're already. Like universities are already tra- kind of trying to skirt around this. What's even more interesting uh-huh. is that Stanford has a really liberal policy around alcohol. I think at least they did until recently. Okay. Um, it was basically that I forget the exact term, uh, but like in the, 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 yeah, the terminology that Stanford used for this, but basically anyone at Stanford um, in the dorms could drink alcohol and RAs were not allowed to like write them up or punish them. The idea was that huh. they, they 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 took the approach that like we know our our freshmen we know our under our, our underage students are going to drink alcohol no matter what, okay. So let's create a more safe environment for them to do so. So the policy in, instead was you needed like for every I think like alcoholic beverage you needed maybe like the same amount or like twice as many equally attractive non-alcoholic beverages. So if an RA walks into your room, uh, they need to see a bunch of Gatorades. They need to see a bunch of like Cokes. Some Yerba Mate. 
Exactly. Because <laughs> because actually that does work. If you have a bunch of like bread and a bunch of like chips, a bunch of food, yeah. a bunch of Coke, a bunch of Gatorade, a bunch of like Urban Mate, whatever, uh-huh. like people will opt for those instead of a drink. Yeah. Like if a little bit in. But if if those options aren't available, you you won't. And mm-hmm. so it, it makes sense. I think recently that uh there's a there's a there's a I was I was at Stanford this past uh, Thanksgiving break visiting my friend Chris. Cool. And there's this campaign going on called Stanford Hates Fun. Okay. Stanfordhatesfun.com. Yeah. Check it out right now if you want. Basically, Stanford was sort of cracking down on these like traditions that had been around over the years. And one of those traditions was this alcohol policy where they would let, you know, freshmen drink. And now I think they're like trying to take a more hard line approach like most universities do mm-hmm. but they are i don't know of any other they are any other uh, university that did allow students to drink like explicitly like stanford did and they didn't get in trouble for it yeah I, go ahead what do you think i, I don't know i i think i think okay, we have to look at the stats here right like i i, I would think that more uh like european like children, but like okay, young adults, right? Drink more than Americans. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wonder, I wonder, like, does that reflect in our productivity? Or are we more productive than Europeans then because we drink less when we're younger? Like, right. It depends on the value judgment around alcohol. Like, right. alcohol can be really fun. Alcohol can cause health problems. Sure. And like, how are you going to measure the costs and the benefits? Like, what do you think about it? Like, when is it a positive? When is it a negative for people as you've seen in your life? Yeah, it does. It does depend on that. Uh, I'm surprised this isn't like a very like focused topic of debate in the U.S. government because I feel like something like this can actually be pivotal to to how our society functions, right? So I've I've actually read arguments that lowering the drinking age to 18 in the United States would actually boost the economy a little bit uh, by improving alcohol sales. Um, but there's obviously the counter to that, saying that if you have drunk 19 year olds uh, who are not yeah. working, then uh, is a counter so i just what's well, not i mean i don't know any 19 year old in, at, at usc that that wouldn't drink because it's illegal i don't know i don't think i've met anyone who's like oh well it's I, I, i've like, met a couple drink. people in my life but like the vast majority of people it's a wink and a nod kind of policy what are raising really, the age decreases the likelihood but it's still totally possible what it really does is it it it, it, it prohibits you from really like buying drinks and maybe going to clubs yeah. like you would normally. I was going to say, like, okay, so I'm 19, uh, 20, by the way, now. Um, so, yeah, it does prohibit, like, I, I don't go to bars on the weekends because, I, you know, I can't. So it does pro- <laughs> prohibit that. But <laughs> is that enough of a factor to have it at 21? There's another argument that I saw that, okay, so at 21, probably most 19 to 18 to 21 year olds drink alcohol mm-hmm. if you lowered it to 18 would you then have sophomores in high school at yeah. 16 starting to get introduced to alcohol there yeah. right mm-hmm. uh, there are 18 year olds in senior year of high school who can buy alcohol and then there are friends of 18 year olds who are 15 and can get easier access to alcohol um, and so like the age is not a hard cutoff yeah I don't totally buy that just from my personal experience of knowing a lot of people in high school who are drinking even with their age being 21 right now. And how are they um, drinking? They're drinking from from high schoolers who had fake IDs. 
who right. would buy like a it. fake ID is a fair like that's a that's a real hurdle. There's a lot of kids who wouldn't get a fake ID. Like it's right. you have I to agree. like order it from some sketchy online sure. site and sure. go to like Western Union and like <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people who just wouldn't do that. Yeah, sure. You're saying that perhaps that 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 likelihood the likelihood that that high school students drink would just increase because of more like you know freshman friends who now like you just going to college or coming back yeah. and now you have it. Yeah, I, I think a related argument is marijuana legalization mm. has I so I know the overall marijuana use rates go way up yes. in the states that legalize, and I believe I'm not sure the youth rates go up as well. Okay, it, it would seem it to make logical. Sense. Yeah, and if that's the case, like. Okay, well, maybe that's a harm that you didn't anticipate. Maybe you can't control consumption as much as you you thought. I don't know. Interesting. What happens if you um, legalize legalize opioids? Oh God, no! Legalize no, the, it, uh, Portland did this. Portland has like government-run clinics. Oh, where you, you talked can go about get this last nice time. Nice clean needle and like bad. Oh. Well, do, don't <laughs> bad. They, is that? Okay, I'm probably remembering this wrong, but I feel like there's a, somewhat of a system like that in Europe. Yeah, Portugal has one. Yeah, and, and like too? they supposedly have like incredible results, and like maybe they do, and maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. But I suppose my opinion is that using opioids is bad, and it's very difficult to navigate the trade-off between overdose deaths and like increased use. But in general, like we should not be a pro-drug country, mm. and like people who are like if you're an alcoholic or if you're addicted to pot or if you're addicted to hard drugs, like you know. Not good things. Social policy should discourage that. Inter interesting. But, okay, well, how would you, uh, like, so then how come in Europe they have, you know, lower drinking age, they have needles, you know, provided openly for the public for free? It Does it have to do, do you think that it's possible that we're different societies and we actually, uh, you know, f function differently as, as humans, I guess, and we need to be governed in different ways? Entirely possible. Yeah, I'm I think. googling alcoholism rates. I don't know. Uh, yeah, this is. I think it's really alcoholism is a really, really common issue. In in where over the world or because and at least in the states, I imagine right. in some countries yeah. maybe not much of an issue. Alcoholism is just as popular in the U.S. as it is in many European countries, more than in Spain and in Germany and in some others. So, so it's more popular in the U.S. than it is in... Yeah. Well, it's also tough because wow. there's so many there's so many factors There's a lot there, of confounders. Right? It's like maybe like life crime is like in America. Anyway. Crime is twice as high here. Got it. And like got that it. doesn't depend on the drinking age. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So it's not just like, okay, there's not one variable here, of course. Of course. I, I keep coming to this value, coming back to this value judgment. Do you guys think, Adam, I know you don't drink too much. You don't really party much. Like you're an RA that requires being responsible and setting a good example for people. But like, tell yeah, me about that yeah. personal decision. How do you think about it? How has it changed over time? Yeah, good question. Yeah. So I, I, I used to drink um, you know, a good bit, especially like freshman year of college. That was probably my like my heyday. Yeah. Um, I still occasionally drink now. I'll like have a glass of wine here and there, but I, I try to really like limit my a glass of wine. Classic non-drinker drink. <laughs> <laughs> limit as much as possible. But I, I don't know. It's just uh, it's number one. It's certainly not good for uh -huh. you, and especially like in larger quantities. They, they say a glass of wine can be healthy mm. for you in the long term every once in a while. I don't know if I totally buy that, but like sure that, that maybe there's like some science that mm. says that. Yeah. But certainly it's bad for your liver. Um, I think it makes me a different person.
person. I don't, I don't like the kind of person I become Same when I'm drunk. So obviously it like reduces your inhibition and that's like the big allure is that you can just sort of like, I don't know, have fun and let loose. Like you wouldn't be able to, and like sort of like, mm -hmm. I think in a way, like feel like a kid again, right? Like kids are able to just like goof off and be silly and be dumb. Exactly. Yeah. Woohoo. Like, <laughs> like push your friends, like joke about it, run around. Sure. But we, we were like too sort of socialized and too adultish to, to do that without a few yeah. drinks in our system. Mm -hmm. And so I get that appeal. Uh, but I think for I think it also I think also for me in particular it doesn't work because my I'm I'm someone of extremes and okay. so I like to full send things and I have a problem with self control okay. and so for me I it's often hard to have yeah. like two or three drinks and not let not let that become like six to eight like if yeah. I have if I two to three it's like okay this is awesome like <laughs> someone give me more shots it, it is right? a great uh, Irish song and it's one leads to two two leads to eight. 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 and then what happens what does eight lead to? and then you're like under the table at 4 a.m yeah, they don't I'll remember drink again the song doesn't continue <laughs> the song ends there yeah. <laughs> no one's singing yeah and then also you know you just like wake up the next morning and you just feel like total garbage my one yeah. friend ibrahim from my freshman year at usc he is just an incredible human being he's like great guy he's um he he's very social and he doesn't drink because he is Muslim, and and that's that's mm -hmm. not in line with his uh, belief system. Mm -hmm. But he is he's still the life of the party. Where and at any party he goes to, cool. yeah. And it's just a testament to like you really don't you can you can you can make it work without the alcohol. That's cool. You know, definitely definitely not necessary. Uh, definitely not necessary. But it's um, it's it is hard to have the resolve to not to say no though. You have to have a good reason because if you're actually at a, a place where people are drinking. It's it's all too easy for someone just to like, mm -hmm. you know, give you a drink or like the, the social you pressure drink. around it is strange. I used to like default to saying yes, but now sometimes I say no, and then I'm surprised that I do feel social pressure. Like oh, like I will stick out and someone will say something if I say I don't want to drink right now. There is social pressure. I will say that there actually, I feel like there is less than I might have originally also like thought there would be uh -huh. like people people do respect you <laughs> oh sure and they're just like oh you don't drink okay cool like he, he doesn't drink yeah right and they like won't keep pressuring you which is i think is like i i've seen that for the most part it's, that's pretty that's good cool. uh whereas i know in like korea it's a pretty big issue where uh if you like the company culture they'll have they'll have hoishik, which is like company dinner uh, -huh. uh frequently maybe like at least once sometimes twice a week three times a week and you got to go out with your coworkers for dinner it'll yep. last hours and you drink and you can't not drink let's let's it's not an option to not yeah. drink and this is yeah. like a to monday tuesday wednesday thursday night perhaps right and you're drinking like you're drinking a lot and it it's just simply not an option to not drink yeah and for those yeah. people it's tough it's slowly dying out this this way chic this company culture okay uh, but it is one of the like more it, hated things in uh among like the, the young korean population interesting go ahead it was part of the culture here in the U.S. too. Um, my grandparents are Irish, and my dad, the first job he got um, getting out of college was he went to the job interview, and, you know, it seemed okay, and, like, maybe they're going to do it, whatever. And then, then he leaves the job interview, and the guy who just interviewed him uh, comes to the elevator, and it's, like, 4 o'clock. He's like, ah, John, you want to go to the bar? 
He's like, <laughs> well, I guess I'm not going to say no, right? Like, this guy might hire me, whatever. Let's go to the bar. Mm -hmm. And apparently this guy turns out he's, you know, you can't keep him out of the bar. And he's in the bar all day. Every day and the barman knows his name. He's like, oh, God, this guy's coming in again. Yeah. And they stay there from 4 p.m. until like 10 p.m. My dad is nearly falling over on the table. But at the end of it, he gets the job because the guy's like, wow, you can really hold your pints. Like, oh, and wow. like, <laughs> it turns like what a strange culture. And like, that is something that people bond over. And I don't know, maybe it's a positive, maybe it's a negative. Mm. Yeah, you're right. Maybe, maybe our culture has adapted. I, I found that too. Like, so I do drink. Um, I enjoy a good drink, but, but I think you're totally right. Like I, I have, I have friends who don't drink and it, I like to think that like, People are pretty respectful of it, uh, and they they still have a great time at parties. No really judges them. I feel like the societal like pressure comes from if I go to a party and like I'm not holding a cup in my hand, it just feels like awkward for me. Like if I have my hands in my pocket, or like it's like you know I feel like you just go to a party and you hold something in your hand, right? So I'm sure even if that was if that was a non-alcoholic drink, I don't think anyone would care. But uh, I've just kind of noticed that like if you go to a party, I think there is like a kind of yeah, this, this invisible pressure to just have something in your hand. Hundred percent. That loops back to the that that's old Stanford policy of yeah, m you must have drink alternatives to alcohol. Alternatives to alcohol. Well, yeah. What about fraternity culture? Very closely related. Mm -hmm. um, it's part of what leads to like, and, and maybe let's not to single out fraternities, but like ragers and kids going and getting obliterated and just like going to parties where like. You're in a dark room full of people and the music is so loud that you can't hear yourself talk. Um, this seems to be like a very common like freshman year experience. And it's like, oh, my God. Wow. This is crazy. Yep. And then like very yep. quickly, pretty much everyone is like, oh, wow, this this has some downsides that yep. we didn't necessarily see coming. Um, why does that persist? Should we allow it to persist? Like it seems like universities tacitly support it, given that they know it happens and like some pretty awful stuff happens there. Yeah. These are I, questions. I'd be curious to to hear the, to read the texts of I don't know, like uh, university officials with each other on this topic, right? Just like these Fox News texts yeah. came out. It's like, what are they? What are their perspectives on on letting this go under under the under the hood? I mean, I don't know. I I was certainly excited to have that experience when I was a freshman. Yeah, I think the fraternity thing is interesting. I I think like so the the common pitch you'll hear from brothers in a fraternity is is the brotherhood, right? Like there's this brotherhood. Which I actually, you know, I used to laugh at it. I used to joke, it's like, oh, the brotherhood. <laughs> but I think there is uh, actually something very, like, legitimate in in becoming close with people because you are in a circle that other people are not part of, right? So it's a, it's an exclusivity thing, right? If if you're part of a circle that, uh, you know, it can be it can be a fraternity or it can be a club, it can be any group. Uh, where where you know you're in a group of people and other people are, are not able to be in that, yeah. uh, I think I, you can bond over that factor. I think it depends what the exclusivity is based around. If okay. you're on a sports team and it's like we mm. dedicate our lives to this, or if you're part of a company and you're like the incoming recruiting class for some consulting group, and like in both cases we are the people who are here at 5 a.m. and we are the people who are here at 10 p.m. And we are like doing all this work together and we have a shared lived experience or, you know, it, any group where you're built around some kind of principle. Mm. Um, I rushed a fraternity. I hated it. And to me, the principle it was built around was a lot of hazing each other and like beating up on the smaller guy and very much like a, a hierarchical kind of contest. 
um, certainly party centric. And I think the party conversation is a little separate from like the fraternity brotherhood conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are some groups that like have a lot of genuine friendship with each other and base their relationships on things that are meaningful and like creating real relationships. Sure. But there are other groups that are based on nothing at all that are based on whether it's competition with other groups of men or whether that it's is, but that isn't, that isn't nothing at all. Ones. Like, being sure, based on, based on something that I think is not necessarily a good thing to build a group on. But it depends. Yeah, I think so. I think that's why you hated rushing the fraternity, right? But if you, but I've been part of other groups where you build a group based on a principle that you all believe in, or based on some kind of shared interest, shared experience, and those can be very positive. I don't know. Mm. It, it, I think, I, so I think I think here the the shared sort of like interest in Greek life. I know at USC is like, I don't know, like. Yeah, that like elite sort of like wealthy, like, you know, exclusive like identity. That's sure. like a shared sort of like interest that you that you that you get out of. I think it, I think it is. Yeah. I think like and it's, well, it's one that I don't care about. But I, yeah, I, I, I can. You know. Right. Whether or not you think that's a good interest to share with, like, you know, an informal group of people, that's that's opinion now. But I think it, it's not necessarily opinion. If I'm comfortable <laughs> having an opinion on alcohol and whether that's good for you or not. Yeah. You know, what you base your social groups around, I think there are good ways to do it and bad ways to do it. It's not purely personal relativism. Sure, sure, sure. But you I know, think we should really uh, bring in some fraternities into this conversation. And, uh, <laughs> oh, and have it like have we can have like a council. Yeah. Just 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 uh, fire it off, Aiden mm-hmm. versus the boys. I think Let's it's. Do it. I think bring in the brothers. Even if something isn't, how do I put this? Even if something isn't necessarily like factually a good thing to base uh you know like a shared interest off of right i think it can still legitimately become something that people do base yeah. it off of because of society right it, it's right. existing right. in our college it system. can be about nothing seinfeld was a show about nothing and it's a great show and it doesn't have to be about something but sometimes it can be about a toxic thing or a negative thing sure 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 yeah i wonder if you go all the way back if if fraternities were always a, a hub for party culture like you mentioned earlier Aiden like you know the frat conversation and the party rager conversation should be two separate things like nowadays we seem to associate the two that fraternities are the things that will hold uh, these ragers Mm -hmm. but I wonder if you go decades back let's say or or late 1800s I imagine fraternities still existed then but I I also I don't know I I have no idea what, what they looked like then Personal take, maybe overfitting on my personal experience. Um, you got to be a bit of a dork to start a fraternity because when you start, it's you and like six dudes in a classroom and you don't have a house. You certainly don't have any ragers. Mm. Like you just have like bylaws and elections and maybe some administrative stuff that you have to deal with with the national chapter um, in order to get incorporated. And so it takes a little while and you got to be determined and you got to be kind of unique. Um, but then, once you have a house and you have a bunch of guys and then you have like this resource that other people can kind of come in and they can say, oh, wow, that's really cool. And they weren't necessarily there, uh, you know, hanging out with you and your friends, like talking about the virtues that you aspire to and the principles that you want to build this club on. They just want to get into the party. Uh, and I think the, the culture can really change over time. Interesting. So I wonder how much of it's based on, the, on having a house that you could throw a party at. 
like if there are if there are universities uh in the states which like have fraternities which don't have houses yeah what what do they look like there are there are fraternities at usc um like there's like and they're they're smaller like academic fraternities right mm-hmm. and you have like the accounting society uh yeah i forget their names and they're not as big here but they do exist and they don't they don't they throw parties and social events but they mm-hmm. they revolve around other things they revolve around accounting or like uh there used to be a business fraternity i think they don't have one anymore but uh yeah, it's just not as known, and it's not as like whoa fraternity, you know, because it doesn't yeah. align with our view of fraternity throws ragers. Yeah, I mean, I know that also. Like, isn't isn't the you know, Aiden, on to your point of like fraternity sororities don't have a real sort of like I don't know mission reason or intent existence. reason for existing. Isn't isn't aren't aren't they off, aren't they like philanthropic? Don't they each have their own philanthropy? I wonder if that's you know these these six dudes who first created this you know each fraternity who knows how long ago like decades ago century plus ago if they were just like yo let's go you know serve some people let's create a philanthropy wouldn't that be cool and that was the initial core reason for existing entirely possible i'm sure there have been some very noble people who did tons of really good work they do put in serious volunteer hours um but i just say it's not what most people are in it for I'd agree. We'll never know what those six dudes well, really talked to in that room. I, I have been thinking about uh, starting a Junto frat, and I wanted to run that, <laughs> run that by you guys. Junto's I know we have we have the, the we have the Junto chats, but Junto frats sounds like a, oh, yeah. an upgrade. I agree. We bump in this podcast room. Thinking we open up applications in the fall. Thinking we we put the podcast out. We gather applications we we get a house first of all cool uh-huh. that's a must aiden i know you you have um, a house uh-huh. nearby hazing can be like no, no the rush selection process they all do a pod and we're like oh, this one no no personality no verb <laughs> where where was this going like only only good pods bull pods go. and then we bring out the bulls and the rest is history yeah. Yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly well boys Great episode today. I agree. Good pod. Great, uh, great whistling. Great beatboxing earlier today too. Happy yes. belated birthday. Thank Adam. you. Yes. Thank you. Birthday, Thank you. See you guys next time. Later, guys. Peace.